We are in the book of Matthew chapter 11, and I'll give you the setting before we read the scripture. John the Baptist is in jail for preaching the gospel. In fact, King Herod, who is Herod Antipas, he is thrilled about the preaching of John the Baptist. If you read the story, Herod went to all of John the Baptist's crusades. He loved it. He enjoyed the preaching of John. He thought John was dynamic and powerful. Until one day, John pointed his finger at Herod and said, Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. Repent. And at that juncture, everything fell apart. John is taken into prison, and sooner or later, he loses his head. Amen. I met a lot of preachers preaching that lost their head, but not in the same manner. But John the Baptist did lose his head, and um, the disciples of John came and took his body and buried it, and word was given to Jesus, and he grieved a great deal over the death of his cousin, his forerunner, his prophet that was making way, the way, announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. And so John is in prison. He's been there about two years. Now, two days is too long, but two years has to eat away at John the Baptist's mind. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to try to walk on down to uh, verse 15. We're not going to read all of uh, down to verse 15. I'm going to try to walk down there to verse 15 today. Um, I'm kind of a slow walker. We may not get there today. But anyway, we're going to read the first uh, six verses. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of the commandment or of commanding his disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in, in, in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do in here. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. I want to use for a subject this morning, when we doubt the power of God. You may be seated. When we doubt the power of God. Now, John is in prison. He sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, are you the one, or do we look for somebody else? A lot of preachers like to expound on the fact that John doubted who Jesus was. I don't think for a second John doubted who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. However, the resurrection had been hidden from him just as it had been hidden from the disciples of Jesus. John also never performed a miracle. Thus, he was not familiar with miracles. 
There's no, nothing in the Bible implies that John saw Jesus raise the dead or John saw Jesus perform miracles. But it does say in the first chapter of St. John that when Jesus, when John baptized Jesus in Jordan, that God gave John the Baptist a sign. And that sign was from heaven, and the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God descended as a dove, lighted upon Jesus Christ, aboding on Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that God, had, the Holy Ghost, had witnessed to John, you'll see this sign. You'll see in whom the Spirit descends and abodes upon. You'll know that this is the Messiah. And so John, I don't think John was doubting the fact that Jesus Christ was the redeemer that would take away our sins because his, his entire message was behold the lamb of God. His complete message was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. That was his message. So he was talking about a king coming, but then he also talked about a lamb coming that Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So John knew that, but being put in prison, he's starting to doubt the fact that maybe Jesus can carry all this stuff out. Jesus, do you need some help with this? Basically what he's saying. Are you the one or do we look for another? Is there someone going to come and help you out? Is there, is there going to come someone that's going to usher in the kingdom of God? Is there going to come someone that's going to, to come king of kings? I know that you're the Messiah. I know that you're, you're the Lamb of God. But maybe you need some help with this. Are you the one or do we look for another? Are you sure you can handle this, Jesus? Here I am rotting in jail. You're my cousin. And you can come and bust me out of jail, and you haven't. And so two years waits down on this boy in prison, John the Baptist, and he's struggling with this. If he's a king, why isn't he coming to get me out? If he's king of kings, why isn't he coming? And so he sends word by his disciples, John the Baptist does, and asks Jesus, are you the one? Or do we look for another? Can you handle this yourself? Is there someone coming to help you out? I'm trying to help you understand John being in prison and doubting. He never doubted Jesus as a lamb. But he doubted the fact that maybe Jesus had someone coming to help him fulfill the kingdom of God. And Jesus has to tell him, nope, I'm it. Nobody but me. I've got this, John. Settle down. I can get it done. Now, John didn't see the resurrection. In fact, as far as we know, he didn't even see miracles. As far as we know, well, he never performed a miracle. But yet he came in the Spirit and the anointing of Elijah, yet he performed no miracles, talking to John the Baptist. 
And so I want to point out two thoughts to you today, and that's why I said I don't know whether I'll make the walk all the way to verse 15 or not, because it is a long walk. And I'm getting old. Walk too much. I might lose too much weight, and I don't, I want to look plump and healthy. I didn't mean that to be funny. Don't I look plump and healthy? Okay. I'm talking about when you doubt the power of God. Now, when you doubt, when you don't see the power of God, you will doubt the love of God. John didn't see the power of God. He preached the Messiah's coming. But John didn't see these great miracles. So when he didn't see, the, when you don't see the power of God, you will doubt the love of God. Verse 1 through 3 says that he sent his disciples and said, Art thou the one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answers his question. Why? Because when you don't see the power of God, you'll doubt the love of God. He answers the question, verse 4, 5, and 6, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the power, the poor, hath the gospel preached to them. And John, oh yeah, blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. So Jesus Christ gave him the remedy for his doubt, and that was the power of God. He said, John, send, send word to John and tell him I've got this. I can handle this. John, I don't need another to help me. There's not coming another behind me. I'm it, John. You're in prison. You're my cousin. And I'm not busting you out right now. I'm going to send word to you that I'm out kicking devils around. I'm out healing the sick. You go tell John that not only do I cause the lame to leap for joy, not only do I cause the the uh, the deaf to hear again. Not only do I cause the blind to see again, but I'm raising people from the dead, John. Hang on, John. I don't need no help. I can do it all. You've done a good job, John. You prepared the way for me. Now, don't be offended in me. Isn't that good? Many times we get offended with God because we don't see the power of God. And I understand that. I understand that very clearly that many times we get offended with God because we don't see cancer healed or we don't see a heart attack healed. We don't see God come across. He seems kind of silent. We're in our own little jail cell and we don't see much going on. We're kind of like John the Baptist. And I understand that. I understand that we as human beings struggle with sickness and disease and heartbreak and loneliness, and we want God to at least click his fingers and throw a little fire out. 
We want God to at least move a little bit, make our hair stand on end. We want to feel God. We want to sense the presence of God. We want to see the power of God. But yet, Jesus Christ said, the man who never performed a miracle, who is John the Baptist, there's not been a greater prophet than him. And the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And he's talking about you that don't get offended because you don't always have it your way. He's talking about me and you that don't get offended. We take the word of God and says, come, come what may, hell or high water, we're going to serve God either way. No matter what happens, we're going to serve God either way. The power of God is real. People are healed. People are touched. But what do you do when you feel let down? Well, you don't give up. Because what happens is you start doubting the love of God. Let me throw another twister on you. The first point is when you don't see the power of God, you will doubt the love of God. Number two, when you don't see the love of God, you'll start doubting the power of God. Now, I want you to understand the phrase, when you don't see the love of God, you will doubt the power of God. Because it's important that we walk in the love of God. And it's important that we keep our eyes focused on the power of God. What is the power of God? Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. It's the power of God. The gospel of God. This book right here is the power of God. And when we read this book, we see the power of God. When we read the stories in this book, we see the power of God. It is power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to everyone, the gospel is the power of God. How do we keep doubts out of our life? How do we understand that when we don't see the power of God, we start doubting the love of God? People that don't focus on the book, people that don't focus on the beautiful creation around us, people that don't focus on the blessings that God's brought to us, people that don't focus on the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and hear the preaching of God, and go into those fantastic stories about the power of God. And we come to church and hear the good news of God. Today is a pepper upper. Amen. I'm not trying to salt your tail today. I'm trying to pep you up. Hello. And so the power of God, yes, God heals the sick today. But understand this. God is much more concerned about you having your nose in the Bible, your heart fixed on the word of God than for you chasing something out exterior, expecting God to do something for you that you don't even know if it's God's will or not. And we conjure up these things thinking it is God's will. Is it God's will to heal the sick? Yes. Is it God's will to heal the sick right now, this very moment? Probably not. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. We don't line God up and say, here, you're the next in line. You've got to do this. We don't get up in the morning and say, God, here's your schedule.
Hello? But if God doesn't come across, we get offended. We get upset. And Jesus Christ says, blessed are you. This is the beatitude out of place, actually. Blessed is he that whosoever shall not be offended in me. That's found in Psalm 119, 165. And it reads like this. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace that loves thy law. Great peace that loves God's word. Great peace that loves God's love. Great peace that loves the Messiah, Jesus Christ. If you have that peace in your heart, if you have that love in your heart for the word, for Jesus, for the things of God, nothing shall offend you. Even if the preacher doesn't shake your hand, nothing shall offend you. Even if you thought the music was too loud, nothing shall offend you. Amen? Even if you think you're right and everybody else is wrong, nothing shall offend you. Hello? We're not supposed to be great, wonderful, incredible scholars. We're supposed to be servants of the Lord. Hello? Now, if you can be a great scholar, then go for it, but don't let it callous you up the way you think you're high above everybody else. And John the Baptist said, jail. His very own cousin, the Messiah. John's thinking, I baptize you. You're my cousin. And I'm in jail. Hey, Jesus. You need some help here? I need some help. You need some help over there? And Jesus said, you go tell John that I raised the dead. You tell John, I've got this taken care of. There is not another. Now, see, he didn't see the death. and re- He seen the death. John the Baptist saw the death in the Lamb. But he never saw the resurrection, just as the disciples of Jesus didn't see it. So John is thinking, okay, Jesus, you're supposed to set up a kingdom, put down Rome, set up your king of kings, and surely you need some help. You're sidetracked here, and Jesus says, no, John. Uh, he tells the disciples, John, go tell John, I've got this, I've got this covered. It's going to be okay. Because Jesus Christ is going to go to the cross. He's going to shed the blood and be the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, just like John preached. But he's going to go to the tomb. He's going to raise again from the dead, create a church, ascend back to the Father, sit down on the right hand of God, and waits for the second coming. The first coming, John the Baptist was his forerunner. The first coming, John the Baptist was his forerunner. The second coming, Elijah will be his forerunner. I'm talking about the second coming when Jesus comes to earth, to Israel. Elijah will be his forerunner. So the second coming. But when you doubt the power of God, you'll doubt the love of God. And when you doubt the love of God, you will doubt the power of God. Let me explain some things to you real quickly. 
John the Baptist was not Elijah. In the first chapter of St. John, they just come right out and ask him. The leaders of the law just came out and asked John the Baptist, are you Elias? And John the Baptist just came right out and told him, no. What part of no you don't understand? They asked John, are you Elias? Verse 21 of, of uh, John chapter 1. And they said, what then? If you're not, if you're not the Christ, what then? And Elijah, Elias said, or John the Baptist said, they said, what then? Are you Elias or Elijah? And he said, I am not. Art thou thy prophet? And he said, no. So we know by what John said, he was not Elijah. Very clearly. In the first coming of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah to lead the way for the Lamb of God, for Jesus Christ. John's going to die like all the other prophets. He's going to lose his head. He's going to die. He's the last prophet in the Old Testament. He dies like all the other prophets. And John's going to be taken out and buried, whether headless or head. I don't know whether they gave him the head or not. But anyway, they took him out and buried him. Let me tell you what. Preaching hard sometimes it costs you your head. But anyway, John the Baptist. You know, I, I get tickled with the, the birth of John the Baptist. In the first chapter of St. Luke, the very first chapter, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is praying. He's in the temple. He's a priest, actually. Zechariah's a priest. That also made John the Baptist a priest. But he didn't go with that. But Zacharias was a priest. He was in the temple praying. Zacharias was an old man. Married to an old woman. Elizabeth was past childbearing. She was very old. Zachariah was old and old and old. Zachariah is praying. An angel walks into the auditorium, into the, into the synagogue and stands there. Zachariah is looking over there at that big guy. And he starts getting scared. And that big angel says, fear not. I come to give you some information. Zachariah, your wife that can't have kids, she's going to have a son. You're going to name him John, not Zacharias. You're going to name him John. And here's what it says, the angel said, and the angels is Gabriel, actually. And Gabriel says to him in verse 17 of Luke 1, And he shall go before him, or go before Jesus, in the spirit and power of what? Elias, or Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah says, Whereby shall I know this? I'm an old man, my wife's old, stricken in years. There's a reason old people don't have babies. I watch some of you grandmas and grandpas. There's a reason old people don't have babies. 
If Judy wasn't so old, we'd have more. I love babies. But she's too old. I'm preaching now. So you can't talk that way about your wife. I'd never talk that way about my wife. Well, she loves me. I don't know about your woman, but my woman loves me. Just the other day, she said I was adorable. Or was that deplorable? But anyway. So Zechariah says, how is this going to be? And Gabriel says, okay, I'm, I'm through messing with you. Gabriel says, you know who I am? He said, I'm Gabriel. I came from the presence of God. Verse 20, and the angel answered unto him, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee to show you these glad tidings. And you're talking about how old you can't do nothing. Behold, I'm not going to let you talk until the baby gets here. Can you just see Gabriel? Zachariah saying, I'm old, my wife's old, and, Zach, and Gabriel's going, hey, come on, man. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And because you don't believe, you're not going to say a word until the baby gets here. That's good stuff. And sometimes it's good for us to not say a word till the healing gets here. Hello. Sometimes it's good for us to not say a word when we're discouraged, when we're depressed. Right? See, when you don't see the power of God, you'll doubt the love of God. Understand this. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Them that love God. Them that love God. To them that are the called. The called. The called. Them that love God. Unto them that are the called. The called. Not everybody is the called. According to his purpose. And many times we get to the place where we don't understand and we get offended because it doesn't happen the way we think it ought to happen. John felt like maybe the Lord needed some help here. And I mean, oh, Jesus just sent word to him, I've got this covered. In fact, Jesus had it so covered, he's going to raise again from the grave after he pays the debt for our sins. Notice in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, for I am persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. That, that goes for Hoon Shane, whatever his name is. That goes for Putin. That goes for Biden. That goes for whoever, principalities. You say, well, they're talking about devil. What's the difference? If you're not controlled by God, you're controlled by the devil. nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able. Not the graveyard shall be able. Not cancer shall be able. Not disappointment shall be able. Not prince of powers and powers of the air shall be able. 
to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not have God's love until we are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, Jesus loves me, and nothing can hurt me. Jesus died on the cross for every sinner in the world. He is a propitiation for the entire world. But the love that I'm talking about don't come until you're born again. The love I'm talking about is when you're crystallized and sealed in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the love I'm talking about. Now I'm talking. Jesus is Lord, sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. And because we hear about the goodness of God, we hear about the mercy of God. When we don't see the love of God, we'll doubt the power of God. And I want you to know many times people don't see the love of God. And the reason they don't see the love of God, they don't come to church long enough to hear about it. Hello. A lot of people don't stay in the love of God because they don't come to church or don't listen to the Word of God enough to know about it. Don't read their Bible enough. Don't listen to the Word of God. Don't come to church enough to, to hear about the love of God and, and to feel that love of God and have that love of God. Listen, the devil will steal that love you have saturated in your heart. He'll steal it or he will conceal it. He will obstruct it if you don't. Keep an open ear to the Word of God, an open heart in prayer, an open heart to the Word of God. He'll steal it. He'll conceal it. He'll construct it. And I want you to know we are to keep ourselves in love of God. We're to keep ourselves in the love of God. The Scripture is very clear in, in, in Jude and 1 John. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Amen. But so many times we get away from it. Hello. Notice, I'm going to read a little bit more because I've got a little more time. You say, well, my blessed assurance is getting tarred. Well, squirm a little, it'll feel better. Uh, one, one hip up. Down, other hip up, down. <laughs> now for some more. <laughs> Verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John, What went you out to see, or uh, what went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? But what went you out to see, a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thee, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there have not been a greater, risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, let's unwrap this. 
Because there's a lot of misunderstanding by preachers that preach on this, especially the, the violent take it by force. A lot of misunderstanding. But I'm not here to parakeet other preachers. I'm not a parrot. I'm here to preach the word. Yeah. On judgment day, I'll give an account for how I preach. And I want to be as accurate as I possibly can be. Jesus said, what did you go out to see? A reed shaking in the wind? Well, there's a lot of reeds shaking in the wind out in the wilderness, in the waterways. Well, when you out to see a man clothed in soft raiment, hey, he was wearing camel's hair, eating locusts, wild honey. Yeah, he was one of them bug eaters. But anyway, he didn't go into Jerusalem to get a sandwich. He's a bug eater. He said, there's me a good one right there. And grass that grass eats his head off. I thought about doing that before I preached today. I thought it might help me preach, but then I said, nah, no. <laughs> you might see some of the chewing tobacco on them grasshoppers, and you'd think he's been chewing. Hello. He said, did you go out to see a guy in soft raiment? No, he's in king's houses. They wear soft clothing. A prophet? Oh, yeah, he was a prophet, more than a prophet. It's written that I shall send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Now, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he says that he'll send his messenger. In Malachi chapter 4, he talks about, uh, I think it's around verse 4 and 5, he talks about in that last day he will send his, his messenger. And that's the second. Let, let's go to Malachi real fast. I, I want to clear this up real quickly. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide in the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refining fire, like fuller soap. Now, you need to understand, he will come. But he comes the first time with John the Baptist as his forerunner in the spirit of John the Baptist, the power in the spirit of Elijah, the power of Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, as we read the angel giving Zacharias that information. Look at verse, uh, chapter 4 of Malachi, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers of the children and the heart of the children of their, to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That there, he's talking about Elijah coming in the end, just before Jesus returns in the second coming. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 10 through 13. They came down off the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples asked Jesus what was going on there because Peter, James, and John had saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about the crucifixion in Jerusalem. And that's where Peter stuck his foot in his mouth. We're glad to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. 
And the Lord, it, didn't, it wasn't Jesus that rebuked him. It was God the Father. A bright cloud overshadowed him. And that bright cloud, when it overshadowed Peter, God spoke and said, Shut up, Peter. Well, it did, just in a different way, right? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Cloud lifted, Jesus only left. If that isn't telling Peter to shut up, I don't know what is. They come down off Mount Transfiguration, and as they're coming down off the Mount, verse 10 of Matthew 17, his disciples asked Jesus, why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? That's in Malachi. Malachi chapter three, uh, 3, verse 1, and Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Why then do the scribes say Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things. He will come before the second coming. He will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will come. But he says in verse 12, but I say unto you, Elias is come already. And they knew him not. But they have done unto him whatsoever they listeneth. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer or be crucified of them. Then the disciples understood that he was talking about John the Baptist. So it's pretty clear that the angel Gabriel said that John the Baptist would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So when Jesus Christ came the first time, John the Baptist was in the spirit and power of Elijah, making the way for Jesus Christ. He was not coming spitting fire like Elijah, not coming crushing blows to the wicked one. That happens after in the great tribulation when, the, uh, when Elijah returns, according to Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so John the Baptist leads the way. He ends up in jail for preaching the gospel. And, and Jesus is pretty clear to them that John the Baptist did come. He come in his first coming. And Elijah will come in his second coming. Pretty cool. That's a double prophecy, by the way. I don't know what they call it in the, the theological circles, but I'm going to say it's a double I don't, I'm sure they got a name for it, but it's a double. Now, we know that when Jesus Christ came the first time, he came to forgive sins. He did, he did not come to destroy Rome. When he came the first time, he came to destroy sin and iniquity. He came to take away the sin of the world. He came to destroy the graveyard, the power of the grave. John the Baptist is beheaded. He dies. Jesus lets John rot in jail and die. Why? Because all the other prophets did the same thing. But the mighty prophet of God, the mighty son of God, the mighty lamb of God, the mighty indeed, the one that would come, that mighty savior of the world, they kill on the cross of Calvary. He dies upon that cross. And he says, John, don't need your help. Don't need your help, John. He died on the cross to take our sins away, to cleanse us by his holy blood. He's put in a tomb and he still says, I don't need your help. 
They put him in the tomb and he declared, I don't need your help. And three days and three nights later, Jesus Christ showed us that he didn't need our help. He rose again from the grave. Only to return to the Father to call out a New Testament church to bring a new people that is giving forth the praises of God to birth a new Gentile race made of Jew and Gentile, Greek and Gentiles alike to bring together a people that he calls his body, his bride of Christ and one day he'll catch us up in the clouds to meet him in the, in the air. We'll be raptured out of here. Great tribulation will come and then Elijah will come. And Elijah's message will be, he's coming to kick heads. He's coming to judge. Jesus is coming to judge. Amen? Woo! Preach myself happy and sweaty. But anyway. I want to point out something before we conclude the message today. It says that the least in the camp. John, there's not been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But Jesus Christ said, notwithstanding, verse 11, John the Baptist, notwithstanding, nothing, uh, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Well, who is he talking about? Verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. Until now, from the days of the prophets, from the days of the beginning, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. What did they do? They killed the prophets. They destroyed the prophets. They suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. Now, a lot of people like to use this verse to say, bless God, we need to just force people to receive Jesus. Force God into revival. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, when the violent come. The kingdom of heaven in the Old Testament, the prophets suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. He's saying the serious will take it by their strength, by their force. No matter what Satan brings your way, no matter how violent it gets, there's a force inside of you that will not give up the violent take it by force. What do you mean? When it's violent, the, 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 the people that are violent, I, I meet Christians that I consider violent Christians. I don't mean they're mean. I don't mean they hurt people. But I meet people that you can tell they love Jesus Christ, and they're so stubborn, they're not about to change their mind. They're violent when it comes to preaching the gospel. They're violent when it comes to witnessing about Jesus Christ. They're violent about their love for Jesus Christ. They're violent to the point that the government says we are terrorists. But the violent will take whatever Satan has out to pour out upon us. The violent will take whatever comes our way, come hell or high water. The violent that loves Jesus Christ, that serves Jesus Christ, no matter what comes our way, we'll take it. Because there's a force inside of us that will stay us home. Amen. 
A lot of people use that verse as trying to preach a revival, but I want you to know that verse is saying, grit your teeth, serve God, stay honest with the Lord, don't give up because you have a force inside of you that'll keep you. You just need to get violent about your salvation, violent about your conviction, violent, I mean, violent about the things of the Lord. Amen? I went over to the gas station. It was 4 o'clock this morning. And everybody was filling up their bass boats with gas. All getting ready. And I wondered, why can't God's people be that ambitious and eager about serving the Lord and coming to church? I didn't look at them bass boats and say, I wish I was on that. I just walked in the convenience store and said, God pity them. I'm going to have more fun than they could ever have today. A smelly, stinky old fish isn't near as exciting as a smelly, stinking old deacon coming to the Lord. When I die, you deacons shed no tears, for I'll be no less dead then than you have been for years. I'm preaching. (laughs) I said, I'm preaching. What does it mean by being greater than John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was never born again. We have been. If you're a Christian, we've been born again. John the Baptist never, as far as I know, see a miracle. He never saw one. He never did one. And we do. We see miracles every, every part of our life along the way. We feel miracles. We see miracles. We hear about the miracles that Jesus did. And by the way, that's what Jesus sent back to John the Baptist, telling him, I'm getting it done. Don't need another. Amen? But I want you to notice something. There's notwithstanding he, he's the greatest. John the Baptist is the greatest of all. Notwithstanding, verse 11, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does he mean by that? Well, John 20, verse 28 and 29 says that when, Je- when Thomas saw Jesus Christ, remember Thomas was the Missouri boy that says, except I shall see, I shall the print of nails in his hand inside, I will not believe. Remember that? He's the Missouri boy. If Thomas had a donkey, there was a little license plate on the back of it said, Missouri. <laughs> Except I see the nail prints pierced side, I will not believe. Jesus shows up and says, here I am. Behold my hands, my side. Thomas, be not faithless, but believing. Reach hither thy finger and print it in the print of nails. Thrust your hand into my side. Be not doubtless, but believing. And Thomas dropped to the feet of Jesus Christ like he was a shot pig between the eyes. He said, my Lord and my God. Every morning, every Sunday morning, I pray for our associate pastor. He's an incredible associate pastor. Joshua is an awesome young man. Say, but you're the dad. I know. 
But that's all right. I'm preaching now. I'm not making up stories. Joshua's a great preacher. Great man of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. He ain't red-faced yet. Try, try some more. Great associate pastor. Awesome young man. I pray for him every Sunday morning. I pray for him every day, but every Sunday morning I pray, Lord, remember Joshua, my son and your son. See, Josh is not only my son, he's the Lord's son. I say, Lord, you know, like your son, Jesus, and my Lord and my God, Jesus Christ. So Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said this, and I believe, or, and I believe this connects us to being greater than John the Baptist. Jesus, being the least, being great. Jesus said this, blessed are you, Thomas. You have believed because you have seen. But blessed is he that has not seen, yet they have believed. Woo! I believe. Now, if God doesn't do another thing for me, I believe. If God doesn't do it, and he'll do more for me, I know, and, and I'll see good things. But if I never feel God again, if I never see another thing, what Jesus Christ did on that bloody cross, and he shed his blood for my sins. He died on Calvary to ransom my soul and to wash my sins away. And he went to the graveyard and rose again. He loved me. I, I said I love him because he first loved me. He loved me first and I love him and I trust him. And if he doesn't do another thing for me, I will not be offended. Blessed is he that has not seen yet they have believed. I'm looking at a bunch of people you've never seen. Jesus geographically, bodily. But you believe. And you believe because of this great word of God. You see, here's the problem. When you don't see the power of God, you'll start doubting the love of God. That doesn't mean you've got to go out on the street and see a, a leper cleansed or a dead man raised. What it means is you've got to take this book as it is, living and alive. God may heal blinded eyes. He does. God still heals people that are sick in body. God still does. The but I'm not looking for a miracle. I've got this. I'm not chasing a miracle. I'm chasing my relationship with Jesus Christ. If we get all hung up on chasing miracles, we're going to lose sight of the majestic presence of Jesus Christ. Yes, God heals. Yes, God heals ulcers. Yes, God heals uh, broken backs. Yes, God, I'm a living example. God has healed me, and God has touched my life. Many of you in this room, God has healed you. But the truth is, the honest truth is, though John didn't perform a miracle, the truth is, John didn't see a miracle. Jesus Christ said, but let him hear about it. Let him hear that I'm raising the dead. Let him hear that I'm cleansing the leper. Let him hear, and that'll be enough. And he'll believe, and he'll trust me. Until he loses his head, he'll trust me to the end. This right here. 
and we'll trust him to the end. Amen? Now, what are you going to do between here and there if you're sick? I'm going to believe God for healing. I'm going to believe God for miracles. But my relationship with Jesus Christ is not based on him healing anybody. My relationship with Jesus Christ is based on him dying for my sins, raising again from the grave, forgiving me, giving me eternal life. That's where, that's where it fits in. So many times people, they want to feel God. They want to see God. They want, and because they don't see it, they, they start doubting the love of God. Let me say, friends, God loves you. And if you'll get in this book and read about the miracles and you'll get with God's people and hear about the testimonies and see what God's doing and see that God's flexing his muscles in the church and God's touching the world, look around you. God is a majestic creator of all things and that will ignite your love for God. And when you hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that will ignite your love for God. Why? Because you're focused on the power of God who is Jesus Christ. Focus on Jesus. He is the power of God. Focus on the gospel. It is the power of God. But when you lose sight of the love of God, then you lose the sight. You start doubting the power of God. A lot of times people get sick and they get weary and they get very dis disenchanted. And their, their love starts waning because they haven't seen that great miracle in their life. Their love starts, starts diminishing because they haven't seen this great answer to prayer. And the next thing you know, they don't even believe in the power of God. That happens. That happens. See, my job is not to put God on trial. Let me say that again. My job is not to put God on trial. God proved to me. If, if Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood and raising him from the grave, isn't enough proof for you? You ain't ever going to be saved. And you're going to be a misfit all your life. Hear me. No matter what happens to me, if, if something were to happen, and God forbid, you hear that, Lord, God forbid. But anyway, if anything were to ever happen, I want you to understand that my love for Jesus Christ is not going to change. I'm going to work at not doubting, but I'm going to keep focused on the power of God and keep focused on the love of God so that I don't doubt either one, the power or the love of God. Are you listening to me? I'm sure that you in this room have just knew for sure that God was going to come through. You just knew for sure that he was going to come through, but he didn't. And what makes you greater than John the Baptist is you still love him. And you're not offended. You're still loving God. Still praising God. Amen? Hello? Seeing a lame man leap for joy, that's just a bonus. Hello? It's just a bonus. I've made many promises to the Lord, and I intend to keep them. But one thing I want you to know, 
that everybody in this room has to make up your mind that God doesn't have to do anything for you to be steady on the course. That God doesn't have to perform, do anything. He's already done enough. He's already done enough. And one day he'll catch us home. Isn't that good? One day he'll catch us home. And we'll be with him forever. Isn't that good? So good. But we need to be violent about our love for Christ. Violent about our attitude toward Christ. Never changing, never wavering. And then whatever comes our way, the violent take it by force. That force in our soul, that force of God that's in our soul will be strong in our life. And we're going to live for God. See, Jesus is not going to come for a bunch of people that are just chasing bread and fish. Jesus is not going to come for a bunch of people just chasing miracles and chasing the supernatural. You're going to come for people that are supernatural, that have received the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart. Yes, they believe in miracles. I do. I, I don't want you to ever think for a second that we don't believe in miracles. We do, and we do see people healed. But my ministry is to preach the word. Verse by verse, preach the word. Amen? And so, John the Baptist lost his head. But I believe when he lost his head, I believe he got heard enough from his disciples when they returned. Uh, the Lord's got this covered. You know your cousin, you know the Messiah? He said he's raising the dead. He's doing a job. God's still doing his work. And I believe John was shouting, repent, 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 until his head dropped in the charger. Because Herodias said to Herod's wife, Antipas, his daughter, Herodias' daughter, she said, what should I ask Herod for? And she said, Tell him that you want John the Baptist's head on a charger, a silver platter. And Herod was grieved, and they took him out and chopped his head off. Now, this shows you how gorgeous and how tender and how sweet a lady this woman was. They bring a head to her on a charger, a silver platter. That's not very feminine. That ain't sexy at all. Can you see John? They bring him. They open up the lid. His head is the only thing bloody on a, on a platter. And they open the lid for Herodias and Herod to see. And John's eyes are still open. And he goes, repent. John says, please, give me one more chance to tell that buzzard, repent. Now, I don't know that that's in the Bible, but it's a good one. No wonder Herod went nuts when he... Hey, man, are you glad you came? We'll pick up next Sunday on the rest of this chapter 11. 
There's a lot of good stuff in it. But I want to say to every one of you, don't give up God, don't give up on God for your miracle. Keep believing him. Don't give up God for your healing. Don't give up on him for your healing. He still heals. Don't give up on God for your miracle. He's still the miracle giver. There's nothing impossible with God. But don't give up on God because you think he's not performing the way you think he should perform. Don't give up on God. No matter what happens, God's still working. God's still working. Amen. Josh, come and bring us on. You see, when you don't get what you think God should have given you, many times you start doubting God's love. And then after you start doubting God's love, then eventually you start doubting God's power. If you doubt that God's power, you'll eventually doubt God's love. If you doubt God's love, you'll eventually doubt God's power. We need to understand that life... Life is the pits. Life is ugly. But the life of Jesus is full of potential. Full of possibilities. And never give up on your walk with Jesus Christ. Josh going to play and sing. I want to invite you. Maybe you've been doubting a little bit God's love. Maybe you've been... Maybe you've been just a little bit weary. Let's all stand. Maybe you've been just a little little bit like John the Baptist. In your little prison, it's kind of weighed heavy on you. Your, Your struggles has weighed heavy on you. And maybe you've felt like I do. We sometimes begin to doubt because things doesn't unfold the way we think but don't ever give up don't ever give up he's still the God that heals he's still the God that saves he's still your God that loves he still has an answer and he will bring to pass God's perfect will in your life it will happen I want to invite you to come as Josh sings. Altars open quickly.